Revelation chapter 10. This is going to go off like crazy now because nothing nothing can work, I guess. Uh, I'm going to do things a little bit different different today. Um, I've, I have learned some things. Um, so I'm, I'm going to kind of... Uh, there, there's going to be questions. No, the mic doesn't pick you up very well. So the questions I ask, obviously, is not for invisible people that I don't know. The questions are about or for you. Um, whether you want to open up and talk about them or not is completely up to you. But um, this is going to be more of a laid-back type of study. Um, I do have notes, but um, it's just going to be an easy kind of... There's not very many verses in this chapter, so I kind of, you know, kind of went through it. Uh, Eleven verses, but we're going to read it real quick, um, and then if there's any questions, um, you can let me know. But chapter 10, verse 1. It says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. And the angel, which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven. And swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things that which are therein, that there should be no time, or no uh, time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go. And take the little book which is upon, uh, which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up. And it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth. Stop. In thy mouth sweet as honey. She just came up and just licked my, my whole arm. Um, and I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So there's a lot of symbolism going on here, um, and, and there was a lot of distractions going on as well. I'm sure, I'm sure the microphone picked up all of the the crunching and and ridiculous uh, uh, chop licking, as it were. Um, is ridiculous dogs, uh, Satan dogs. Anyway, um, we there's a lot of a lot of things going on here, and, and I'm not gonna. Um, I don't think I'm gonna miss anything when when I go through it. But is there any questions before I jump in? Okay. Well, I think the best thing we can do is kind of go back to what we've already studied. Um, in particular, leading up to Revelation um, chapter nine. Uh, where we ended off, but through uh, through chapter six, we read about the seven seals of God that can't be broken unless God breaks them. Jesus was the one to break them, leading into the 144,000 mostly Jewish people from Israel uh, that will be sealed, which is in chapter seven, to the seventh seal being opened in chapter eight, to the seven trumpets being played, uh, starting chapter nine with the fifth trumpet, ending with the sixth trumpet blown 
opening chapter 10 with a hopeful assurance of the last trumpet because there's seven trumpets in total. So we're hoping that there's the seventh is going to be blown in chapter 10. However, chapter 10 does not mention the seventh trumpet quite yet. We're going to get into that, but that's in chapter uh, 11. Um, and there's a reason for that, but um, uh, so we'll kind of uncover that today. Um, in, in this chapter of Revelation, there's, there's quite a bit of symbolism. There's a slight pause from the trumpets of the angels to reveal something that isn't quite opened up here in this chapter. Um, there's, there's more information about this in the chapters to come, but this chapter gives some prerequisites about the things that are to come soon. We understand that so far, nothing has been that, that great for the people that are remaining on the earth. It's not been something that they've, they've uh, enjoyed or, or, or even maybe even desired to go through, but this is what they have chosen for, them, for themselves. And we still see God's grace, even through this tribulation and chaos, we see his grace bestowed upon earth and, and the people who are openly mocking and rejecting him. He gives chance after chance, after chance, eventually, as as we will all see soon, I, I guess it's just they're just going to run back and forth through the house. I don't I don't know what's going on today. Um, anyway, as we'll see soon, there will be no more chances. God God will stop giving chances. Um, they'll they'll come an end to it. Everything we've read so far from Revelation has had scriptural parallels to things that that have already happened, maybe on a smaller scale. Um, if you can call these plagues and tribulations small, um, but in, but it, it's happened in the time past, and in, in the Old Testament specifically, and even during our lifetime. But the Bible is rich with stories revealing all these things that are shown here in Revelation, dropping hints to the dichotomy of mankind and the sinful nature um, that we have uh, that we have, leading to a, a remorseful and horrible end to everything as we know it. It wouldn't take much for us to look around our world today. We can look at Russia and Ukraine, for for instance, and, and the issues that are that are happening that happening there, um, and even issues in our own leadership and and things that are that are taking course. Um, but we we wouldn't have to look very hard and see to see the sinful nature of man and how the Bible couldn't stand any more accurate if we tried to prove it. The thing is, the the Bible doesn't have to prove us. If that makes sense, we have to prove the Bible, and when it comes down to it. We have proven time and time again that the Bible was right all along. I've tried to, to prove the Bible wrong. I, I can't do it. <laughs> I, no, matter, no matter how, oh, there's, there's uh, this right here. This, this is saying something completely against what it said earlier in the Old Testament. No, no they, they, they line up very well, surprisingly. You can't prove the Bible wrong. It only, it only proves itself right and and we are stupid for ever questioning or rejecting the contents that that have been laid out for us it's evident that the bible though, though written in old times is still very much useful today and proves that we are miserable sinful and ultimately careless people without the help of god so how can how can anyone look at the world's events and say i don't need god <laughs> there's there can't be a god there's no way there's there's an ultimate uh, uh ruler there's somebody that that knows good and evil the reason so much hate and pain is taking place today is because of our rejection of god prove me wrong i mean ultimately the reason that that people are the way they are and and so hurt and so depressed and so and so angry is because they have rejected their creator and may we take that into consideration, especially as we look to the future of these verses, comparing them to the past and the present. So we look at verse number one, which says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, 
and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire, which is a very strange verse to read because it doesn't sound like anything we've ever quite seen so far. I suppose we should probably go back to the last where the last chapter left off in Revelation 9, um, in verse 20 and 21. It says, And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. So these people are still living in the way that they always were. In verse 21, neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. They didn't care about what they were doing. They, they enjoyed killing people. They enjoyed stealing from people. They enjoyed throwing things into the face of God and purposely going against what God would have them to do. They enjoyed rape and incest. They enjoyed these things. When we look at these verses, we who are saved instantly think that these people are stupid for turning their backs on God, even though God has shown himself through all these plagues and tribulations. And while it may seem stupid, it's also nothing new. This is, this is the case today. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9, uh, Solomon says, The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. We've experienced it all once before. Uh, we were just talking about that in, in, in World War right World War Three. I was saying that you know there's this is this would be World War Three. There was already a one and a two, and obviously we didn't learn our lesson after the first one, which is why there's a second one. So if there's a third one, obviously we still haven't learned our lesson. We're still doing the same stupid things that we've always done. But then in Gen Gen Judges twenty one twenty five, it gives this example. And this is written in the Old Testament. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And because they did what they thought was right in their own minds and eyes, people failed. People, there, was, there was complete chaos and there was complete destruction and there was complete torment to innocent people nevertheless. And then in Romans 3.10, Paul says it best. He says, As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. It's not new. This has been happening since the beginning of time. We have always rejected God's plan, and we've always gone against what God would have us to do. The Bible is filled with story after story of people turning away from God, even though God showed himself mighty. And even after God literally had just protected them and freed them and gave them what they, that they needed, ultimately. In, in Exodus, I think the children of Israel is the best kind of uh, example of this, this turning away from God. Literally, they see God rescue them and free them from their bondage. They were literally in bondage. They were being beaten and, 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 and abused, and they were being treated like slaves, and they were just normal people just trying to live their lives. They didn't know that there could be anything better. In fact, they would pray to God. They would cry to God all the time. For I think it was like for 300 or 400 years, the children of Israel were crying to God. The family, the generations that followed kept crying to God. So here they are being freed from their bondage. In Exodus chapter 31 and verse 18, it says, And he gave unto Moses, God gave unto Mo Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, which were the uh, Ten Commandments, as it said, tables of stone written with the finger of God. This is God's literal handwriting on these stones that were given to Moses. And Moses is going to go down now and give the law to the people. 
there's, there's a total of 613 laws in the Old Testament. So we look at 10, which is called the moral laws, 10 commandments, but there's 613. And even if, even if somebody were to keep all 613 laws, they're still a sinner because they were shaping in iniquity and in, in their mother's womb, um, they, were, they were conceived in sin. So it was. It was. It's. It's shown and it's proven that there it is impossible. The whole point of the law is to show us our need for for God, our need for help. Uh, but even after this, he gets the stone tablets. He's going back down to see them in verse one of of chapter thirty two. It says, and when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, skip, they missed the point of, of why they were brought up out of the land of Egypt. But for, for Moses, the one that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. We don't, we don't want what he's doing. What he's, we don't even care. if he's, He could be dead up there. I don't care. You're going to get up and you're going to make us gods, is what he's telling to Aaron. Verse 2, And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And verse 4, He received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. So Aaron is literally saying, this is the God that rescued you from your bondage. It's, it's not the God of heaven. No, it's this golden calf that I just created for you because you told me to. This is the one that rescued you. This is the one that you should be bringing praise to. This is the one that you should be glorifying and loving and caring about, even though he literally was just created just now for your own personal and, and obviously wrong sakes. And the reason that they wanted this golden calf was not because they didn't love God, but it was because that's all they knew. They were going right back into their sinful lifestyle. They were going back to worshiping the way the Egyptians worshipped, not the way that they were supposed to worship. And the question really begs, has there ever been a time in your own personal life where you knew God would protect you, yet you still turn away from him believing he wouldn't? Has there ever been a time when, when God, God has presented something where he's, he's given you this, this, this ultimate uh, this ultimate understanding that, that he's going to take care of it. But because it didn't happen fast enough, or because, because you're not quite sure the end result, did you turn away from him? Has that ever happened to you? Well, I don't know if I turned away from him, but I, I think I probably... I don't trust it's going to happen, I guess. Or I second guess of... Um, I second guess myself and what I should do instead of just waiting on him. And these people, these children of Israel, they did the exact same thing. Once again, proving that nothing has changed. Yeah, but it's because you're... I think a lot, I think... And I think people just think that it's, they're not going to like his decision. <laughs> no, I think... We were, I was talking to Melody about this the other day, and I said, um, I said, when we pray and... and, and we ask God for something that we really, really want. And we pray fervently for it, day in and day out, and we don't get it. Does that mean God answered our prayer? And it took Melody a second, and she said, yes. I said, why? We didn't get what we wanted. And she said, well, but, but God, that doesn't mean God didn't answer our prayer. I said, well, why not? Why does, what, why does that mean he's, he answered our prayer if we didn't get what we wanted? She said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, you're right. God still answered our prayer. 
Because God's no's is still an answer. Well, no is still an answer. Because it's we're probably it's something that you're more blessed not to have. <laughs> we don't know the ultimate <laughs> playing field. We don't know the the. There was a um uh I, the other night at Bible study there was there was a a, a description ga- given by one of the other um the other men in the group. Uh, he he said it was like like the military like um, we, we send out planes to go take to take cover over the area to see what's on the horizon and then those planes tell us the people on the ground what to do and how to move uh, god has the ultimate the high the sky high view he gets to see what's happening and then he tells us how to move it's our job to listen to the commands of of the the ones that can see above us um, and it's the same thing with God. We don't know what's on the other side of the, the, the mountain line. Only the plane knows because he's the one that's flying over it. And that's, I think I think I, um, my biggest problem is my job. Because if, if I just would trust and trust in God more, I wouldn't be get so stressed. I won't let those things bother me because he's in control and he's going to take care of it. But I think there's also a fine line too between being stressed because you care and being stressed because nobody else cares, you know, like, like, I, I think you, you, you care about your job, of course, but I think you also are stressed because nobody else cares. Well, even, but also even when it comes, because they always have like, a, a t- probably at least once a year, they're going to start changing schedules. And I'm the first thing I'm thinking of, I'm at the fight for my Sundays. And so, and I would, I get really like, I would, I would be like the last time we were in the office, all of us in the office, and they're saying how there's going to be change in schedules. This doesn't happen too long ago. And I'm literally just, I'm literally just like, um, my heart's in my stomach, and I'm just sitting in the office just praying, and I'm listening to anything else she's saying, because I'm just, just, and it's, in, it's happened so many times out of the, I don't know how many years I've been saying that's terrible. It's been about 10 years. I have no idea. Most 2014 was mine, so I can't even count that that quickly. <laughs> so it's probably like 2013 for me. I don't know. That um, how many times I've had to worry about this, and it's always he's always he's always it's always worked out. I've never had to work a Sunday, but every time I get scared, I just trust him. <laughs> every time I get worried about it, every single time. There's, but there's never been a time when even like like a decision like that where where you're in a situation where where they're you're not sure if they're gonna give you your Sundays or not. As, have you ever felt like you know why isn't God giving me clarity here? You know, like should I just take it into my own hands? And have you tried? No, to take because it I think hands? He is giving me clarity, but I just I I don't look at it because I'm so worried about other things. Sure. <laughs> oh, yeah well when we moved from texas that was that was kind of my you know from texas we that was kind of my my uncertainty of god's plan you know that was my that was my issue that was that was when i made the gold calf so to speak it was taken into my own hands um ultimately after we moved um that's that's when i was taken into my own hands and i i realized what i was doing um but of course God forgives them, as well as you could read, and if you ever take the time in Exodus, God forgives them of their of their their sin, ultimately of rejecting God. But um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of situations I think anybody can relate to that in regards to them just seeing God do something for them, and then 
you know, all of a sudden there's a, a space where they're waiting and God's not doing anything. And so, you, you're, you know, okay, so we just, do we move forward without God type of type of mentality? And then you start to do it and then you realize you make, make a huge mistake. Um, so it's always good to wait on God and, and, and he has it all planned. Yeah, I mean, they, they were crying out, like I said, for almost 300 or 400 years. Waiting on God. I mean, I, I pray for you and Matthew all the time, and he's not answering my prayers. But he is. And I'm not mad, I'm about it, just waiting. <laughs> like I said, a, a, a no is an answered prayer still. And it's all on, on based on his timing. But uh, once again, if we if we read through, and, and this, this will give us kind of a, a, an understanding of timing as well. Verses 1 to 3, we'll, we'll read it once more. It says, And I, and I saw another mighty angel. Uh, so John sees this huge angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was, as it were, the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. I think this this gives a great picture of God's presence and holiness of the in the life of a believer. Like God on the throne, his angel was surrounded by a rainbow here. In Revelation chapter 4 and verse 3, we've read it um, once before. And, he's, and, he's, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Um, like the Son of Man, he comes with a cloud, and his face is shines like the sun, as Revelation 1-7, we read it. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. And then also in verse 16 of, of that same chapter. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And like God's glory and presence in the wilderness uh, during the time of Exodus, his legs were like pillars of fire. And when they were running from, from those in, uh, when, after they were freed, freed from their bondage, they were running from the Egyptians because the Egyptians are now chasing after them. Uh, the Pharaoh decided to take his army and, and stop them from doing what he just allowed them to go do. Um, they're, they're running from it, and, and the Lord puts this pillar of, of smoke before them, a pillar of fire is displayed here in verse 21 of chapter 13 in Exodus. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took now he took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Uh, this angel is depicting these these this, this, this whole contrast of who God is. Uh, and, and then even so, like the Lion of Judah, his voice was, as it were, a, a roaring lion, this verse says. In ver, uh, Revelation 5.5, 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. This angel was created, I believe, specifically to display the splendid attributes of God's glory, his presence, his authority, and his salvation, or promises, uh, fulfilling promises, if you will. No doubt a sight to behold by John here. I'm sure John was confused on what he was <laughs> witnessing. If he wasn't already confused by the other millions of things he's already witnessed, this was going to be something astounding, outrageous, and really strange. No, it was just something that he just didn't expect. And even while this angel spoke, 
there were seven thunders that sounded in verse 2. And he, he had in his hand a little book uh, open, and he s- set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. Also, I also want to point out, because it says the, the right foot was on uh, the, the, the sea and his left foot was on the earth, this this picture of, of the angel's left foot and right foot being in what they're placed displays the size of the angel. This is not saying that he stood on the beach with one foot on, on the sand and one foot in the water. No, this was a giant of an angel. I mean, it was like his his foot took up the whole beach and his foot was was partly in, in the sea as well. So we come under the assumption that this was not a normal-sized angel, something that was really spectacular to behold. And when it speaks about the scroll here, or the book, it says that it's, it's little. Uh, once again, insinuating that in the proportion of the size of the angel, this was not any normal-sized angel. We have to assume that this was something grand, huge. Uh, and then also displaying God's attributes. And then verse four, it says, and when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, he was gonna write what the, what the thunder said. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. He was told not to write them. Some heavenly secrets will not be revealed in this life. We will have to wait for heaven to hear and see the things in which God has not fully revealed to us now. Which leads us back to what we were talking about previously. Sometimes the things that God doesn't reveal to us is for our own benefit. Maybe even leading us in the way that we, he wants us to go. And we wouldn't go that way if we saw the, the things God had kept secret from us. Sometimes the things that God doesn't reveal to us is because of our sin. Uh, we don't allow blessings from God because we're not living in the fellowship with God as we should be. How can God reveal his truths to us if, if we're battling against his spirit, which leads us into all truth? As John 16, 13 says, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he shall shew you things to come. I'm sure, no doubt, we've already kind of talked about this, but can you think of another time in your life that you wished God would just reveal the secrets that you just don't quite understand right now? I, I can think of a few. You can think. Of, I'm sure you're thinking of your mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was that that I thought of? <laughs> and some things we're just not supposed to know until we get to heaven. In fact, in Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine, Moses says, "The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law." In other words, God reveals things to us that we need to know, and God keeps secret things for himself that we don't need to know. It is said that the Bible reveals more about more things about hell than it does about heaven. We know more about what lies await for us in hell than we do about what lies in wait for us in heaven. And I believe that's on purpose. I believe that's for a reason. Heaven is a place that we we that probably to most of us seems uh, mysterious uh, and not widely known but it certainly is a place that draws our attention because of what we don't know about it we've heard miraculous things and we have hope for for the things that we've heard we know that it's, it's considered paradise to jesus jesus said it's paradise he said it's peaceful he says there's there's uh, uh streets that are paved with gold and clear as glass 
that one one gate is made out of one pearl an entire gate this giant gate is made out of one pearl tiny little pearl we know little things but we know more about hell than we do about heaven and, and because of this we want to avoid it at all costs we know that we're going to suffer we know that it's going to be hot we know that it's going to be torment and torture we know that demons are supposed to be there and we know that people are going to be there because of their their rejection of god and the more we know about hell the more we understand we don't want to go there but i believe that god does this for a reason and i believe he does it because He's not just focusing on the negatives. He's not saying, well, you know, you need to think about hell. You need to think about, you know, eternal torment and torture. But rather, he's doing it so that we think about the good things, the positive things. We know the negative things. We need to be thinking about the positive things. Those are the things that we don't know, the secret things of God. And dwelling ourselves with that. The ideas and concepts that, that God has secrets that he has not revealed to us. When we don't know something, it's a good thing to kind of ponder on what God would, would have you to do. Sometimes we'll get to the end of something and realize that the reason that God kept it a secret was just because of how crazy it would have been if, if we didn't just, if we did what we did or what we wanted to do. If we knew what we wanted to know, maybe it wouldn't be as pleasing to us if we actually knew it. Maybe we wouldn't even go through with it if we actually knew it. Or maybe maybe it would be pleasing to us, but then it would be gone and, and there would still be questions and doubt. There would still be a hopelessness within us because we like to focus on the negatives. But God keeps those secret, those positive secrets for a reason so that we have something to hope in, something to look forward to. Uh, a lot of atheists' issues about the Bible is that we can't prove that Jesus rose from the dead. And they're right. We have no proof that Jesus rose from the dead. He's not here to prove it. We have proof that he was alive. We have proof that he existed. We have proof of the disciples as well. We have their actual handwriting <laughs> as proof. We have enough proof to be able to say that Jesus actually walked this earth, not to mention all of the secular proof, not, not just from the Bible, but, but historically speaking, artifacts and things, things of that nature that line up with the Bible and especially the New Testament. But that's what our hope lies on. We may not be able to prove that Jesus rose from the dead, but that's why we get to have hope. Without hope, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, and that's what our faith rests on, is hope. I believe the wait will be worth the mystery once we get there and are in the presence of the Lord, and uh, we get to see exactly what he had a secret. Um, will be a glorious day for us. And it gives us something to look forward to until then. Um, then verse 5 says, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven. And it seems like a small like verse, but I read some things. Um, that, that, that people have a belief in, in this particular verse, that it's depicting unity in God's created order. One foot on sea, one on land, and the right hand raised to heaven. Uh, a trinity of, of, of unity, if you will. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 6, it says, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters, um, and God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the water from the waters which were above the, the firmament, and it was so. The firmament is speaking about the sky. Um, and God called the firmament heaven. 
that heaven is not speaking about specifically about the heaven that that God dwells in, but the heaven in which is our sky. There's there's the when we talk about heaven in that particular verse, we're talking about what's above us. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters called he sees. And God saw that it was good. So he makes the land. He makes the earth or the, the, the dry ground, the dry land and the sea. And then he makes the heaven or the sky. And that's the whole trinity of his creation for us on the days to follow he then fills all of those things with more of his creation he gives purpose to those things he gives purpose to the sky by filling it with birds he gives purpose to the sea by filling it with fish and he gives purpose to the land by filling it with people and animals and it all works together seamlessly or at least it's supposed to not all the time people people tend to abuse things and and, and use things that they shouldn't but <clears throat> it may symbolize that and it would be respectable to believe that because of the majesty of this angel and, and the way he or, or, or it was created. There's no real gender with, with angels. So I don't know if, if, if there's guys or girl angels. I, I just assume it's a he. It. <laughs> I, I mean, it makes more sense. I don't know. Because I guess because you know everything else that God created, or or when the, you know the Bible speaks in Old English, it speaks about when it talks about multiple people, it always says men or man. I just kind of assume everything's a man, <laughs> but uh, angels don't really have a gender. They they never specify a gender, so I really don't know. I think there was one particular point where it says that look like men, so we assume that they have a, a manly posture. But I don't know. One of one of the angels' names is Gabriel. That's a man name. Yeah. But once again, I, I don't know. But but especially this particular scene here would make sense in this chapter at this particular time with how the things are going. God is finishing his intended purpose for the world and bringing all things to an end. And what better way to come full circle and visualize the finality of all things but with unity between God and his creation? Paul says it best, Ephesians 4.3, he says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's a unity that God requires from his creation. And he's identifying it here through this angel and the way that his angel is portrayed. And then in verse 6 it says, And swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that, are, that, are, that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be no time or time no longer. That is a sad verse to read, that, that, that term that there should be no time longer, or rather, no more delay. God's sovereignty knows that there are none else in the entire world at that point that will be saved. But God's grace gives us chance after chance to receive it. There comes a point, though, where, where God must end it because there is no more reason to delay. But even with God's final ruling on the matter, we will see in, in, in the next chapter that God will allow still one more opportunity for change and nothing will come of it. Spoiler alert. Do you ever um, get, like, does it ever cross your mind, like, if you talk to somebody about Jesus and they don't accept him, you gave him that chance and now they can 
Like you're to blame for their, yeah. their eternal temptation. That it No, because Paul Paul says Paul says that that you know Barnabas planted the seed or or uh, yeah, Barnabas planted the seed and I watered it, but it was God that gave the increase. So neither is he that planteth anything, nor he that watereth, but it's God that gives the increase. So we we don't we don't we don't save people and we don't condemn people. That's their own choice. They have the they have the will to reject but God. God always gives a chance for people to accept that seed. And, sure. And so when they hear about it and then don't. But they can't stand before God and say, nobody ever told me, God. But I'm just saying, but if you're that person that tried to plant a seed, then... You do hold a very, very <laughs> high responsibility, sure, when you're, when you're giving the word of God. And that's why people should take it seriously. A lot of people don't. But... Um, at the same time, you don't save people and you don't condemn people. That's, that's God. It's God's right to judge. You give them the truth, they either accept it or reject it. That's up to them. And there's We have family members, of course, that I wish would be saved. And they know the gospel. I've shared it with them. But it's not up to me to save them. I did, I did my part, what God told me to do. And now they're supposed to do their part. And if they don't do it, that's, that's not my fault. I did what I could. So... I, I can walk walk away with my hands clean, knowing that I I obeyed God, yeah. and it was it's all God, it's up to God now. If if God if God is able to to force them to come to Him, which I know He won't do, but if He is able to force them to come to Him, which He'll try His hardest to do through their their own free will, um, then that's great. You know, glory to Him. I can't say it was, it was because I shared the gospel with them. That's what, no, I can't say that. Though that fruit would be added onto my account, yeah. but um, it was just because I was faithful. We're not we're not called to be we're not we're not called to save people. No, I know that, but when but they say everybody's going to have that chance, and you are part of giving somebody that chance, and then they don't take it, then yeah, well, that's that's their so own part doing. Of them, part of it, really. Yeah. Yeah, but as we'll see in a, in a second here, as we read through the this this the rest of this chapter here, um, there there's been hundreds, millions of people who have rejected God, and even after they've heard the word of God, all these prophets. You think about these prophets of old who are literally in jail or imprisoned, or even tortured because of their their faith in God and their preaching on the matter. Um, even still today, people of the same kind of caliber. I know in Russia, it's it's not, it's not okay to talk about God or, or Jesus in Russia. Um, you can be imprisoned or killed, even. But um, you think about all these people that have that have gone through that. You know, they can't say. You, nobody can say when, especially like Vladimir Putin, for instance. You know, he ends up before for before God on Judgment Day. He can't say, "Well, nobody told me." I guarantee. First of all, somebody told him. Second of all. I guarantee he rejected it. That's just bottom line. <laughs> um, and, but that's not that's not up to to us. And honestly, people like him do deserve a special place where they're going. Someone like uh, Hitler, for instance, um, or or let, we could use even something even better, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. It was said that before Jeffrey Dahmer was was uh, or no. Um, What's the other guy? The other guy. Um, not Jeffrey Dahmer. The other guy. The guy. You know what I'm talking about. What is his name? What did he do? 
uh, he <laughs> raped hundreds of women across the United That's States. Not, uh, oh, we think um I can't think of his name Jeffrey right Dahmer. now. Jeffrey Dahmer, he 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 um drugged people and then chopped them up and put okay. the body parts I in thought, the fridge. Yeah, Bundy. Yeah, Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy. Yeah. So before he passed away, his lawyer supposedly led him to the Lord. I don't know how true that is, um, but before he was on death row, before he actually, because he got the electric chair, before he actually got the electric chair, um, or maybe he was, uh, either way, he, he was killed um, on death row. Um, his, his lawyer had supposedly led him to the Lord. And he accepted Christ before he died. Now for someone like that, his lawyer more than likely was thinking, you know, hopefully, you know, he does accept Christ and it's a real change. But if he didn't actually accept Christ and he stands before God, I don't think that lawyer is going to really care all that much that you know, someone like him, <laughs> you know, didn't truly accept Christ because of the kinds of things he did. I mean, he gets what he, he deserves, um, what he's earned, um, and the wages of sin is his death, so... But I mean, there's a hope, of course, for every person, but that that we shouldn't leave that hope on our own, you know, abilities or capabilities to be able to to preach the gospel or witness to people. Because in all honesty, if it was based off of me, you know, and what I said to somebody, I'm an awful speaker. I know people tell me that that like, oh, you, you have, you know, an eloquence when you I don't get it. I, I, I don't think I do. I really don't think I do. I think I'm an awful person. To speak in front of people, I get really nervous. My, I, I stutter sometimes, a lot of times, especially when I'm nervous. Um, you know, my mouth kind of dries up. It makes it. I don't swallow as often as I should. So when I'm talking, I start talking like this, like I'm about to cry, but I'm not. I'm just trying to. I just <laughs> didn't catch my breath. Things like that. But um, it's a good thing it doesn't rely on 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 our witness that people are saved or not. It's all based on God. God does with it as He will. His, his word will not return void. Anyway, um, but we get to this this particular part, and we'll, we'll see that a little bit more in, in this, this actually in this part here in this these notes. Um, but God obviously cannot wait forever for those that won't be saved. He has to do something. He has to judge the earth. Uh, he, he must serve justice to those that are cruel and wicked and will not be saved, who will not turn to God. Uh, these people that, that were still alive obviously are extremely wicked people, um, in, in case you don't remember, we already read it today, but in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 20, once again, is it? <laughs> Stupid dog. Anyway, in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 20, once again, these kinds of, this is the kind of people that, th that they were. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils. So they were worshiping devils. Uh, they were worshiping idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood. Um, which those those things can't see, they can't hear, and they can't walk. Um, but they never they didn't even repent from their murder. So they were murderers. They were they were doing sorceries, which, whatever that could mean. Um, I'm assuming they were you know doing some sort of satanic rituals, um, which is still prevalent today. Maybe even drinking blood, eating people, that kind of thing. Um, they uh, they didn't they didn't repent of their fornication, which means they were probably raping. Um, there was probably incest and a lot of different kind of uh, sexual immorality. Um, and they didn't repent of their their thefts, which means they were stealing from one another, and they just they didn't care. That was what they, those were their, that was their lives. This is how everybody was acting and doing things at the end of the at the end of the world. 
But so there comes a point where God must do what is right. And it would be wrong to continue to let these people go on with their sins and not do anything about it. Romans 6.23, we've, we've already kind of quoted it. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has actually demonstrated this same patience and destruction before with Sodom and Gomorrah, in case you don't know the story. When he let Abraham know that he would destroy the city, Abraham tried to plead with God, knowing that Lot, who, who was part of his family, uh, was living there. God told him, if, if there is 10 just people, if there is 10 righteous people living in, in Sodom, I'm not going to destroy it. I won't even touch it. However, when the angels get there, the people are so given to their sin and their wickedness <coughs> that they literally try to rape the angels as soon as they find out that they're there. In, in Genesis 19.5, it says, they say this, and they called unto Lot. So Lot takes these angels into, the, into his house because he doesn't want the angels to go. They, he knows that the angels are, are, are righteous men or are righteous people that should not go into the city because they're wicked people. So they find out, the city finds out, and they come over to Lot's house, and they called unto Lot and said unto him, where are the men which came into thee this night? Those angels that came to you, where are they? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. That, that term for know means to sleep with them. If you look it up in, in the Hebrew definition, you can get a Strong's Concordance. Look it up if you like. But anyway, it, it means to sleep with them. So they even tried to break into Lot's house to get to them. That's how, that's how sinful and wicked these people are in Genesis 19.9. And they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow, speaking of Lot, came in to sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. They're trying to get to these angels. And we know that the cities were destroyed after this because of their wickedness. And, and Lot and his family were allowed a chance to escape, being told to not look back. In Genesis 19.17, the angels say, And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life. In other words, run for your lives. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. Go to the mountains, don't look back is basically what the angels said. And of course, we know that Lot's wife looked back and she became a, a pillar of salt. Uh, and Luke um, chapter 9 and verse 62, Jesus says this, And Jesus said unto them, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, no person that, that, that puts his work to, to God's work, his will into God's will, and looks back at what he used to be, is not fit for the kingdom. Is not fit to be a part of God's eternity. We cannot afford to look back at our old life when God has given us a glorious and, and joyful new one. It does us no good to dream about the things which were before. Our flesh will tell us to look back, but the Spirit will tell us to keep moving forward, keeping our eyes on God. I call this, as Lot's wife suffered, Christian ADD. When we see something shiny or we have this inkling that we should look back, look the opposite direction in which we should be looking. That's our ADD speaking to us, telling us to veer off the path. That's Satan's way of getting us distracted. But we see through this destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah that God knew there was no hope of salvation there. Nobody was going to be saved. And they needed to be killed off so they wouldn't continue to destroy the world and the people that were, were on it. He, he's going to see this at the end too but the whole world will be in the same state of peril and god will have no choice because their sin will continue to grow out of control in fact 
It was because of this specific nature that God had to flood the earth the first time in Genesis with Noah. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That was everybody on earth only thought of evil things constantly. And it didn't get better. It got worse and worse. This time of the world's end, though, we are told it's supposed to be even worse than the time of Noah. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. When I return, it's just going to come quickly. And no one's going to know. And that's, that's how it's going to happen. Everyone else is going to be taken. And they're not going. They're going to be living their lives as if nothing was wrong. And then I'm just going to return and it's going to be done. And we're told that it's going to be worse than the days of Noah because at least in the days of Noah, there was one man that, that God found favor in and that was in Noah's eyes. There will be no eyes that God will find favor in during the end of the world. But if we were to take anything from these scriptures, it would be that God purposely found favor in a few men who were able to be saved and were able to change the world. We think about the world now, and we know that there's, there's a good majority out here. Just in America alone, we can just look at America. We don't have to look at the whole world because we don't know everybody in the entire world, but, but we know that there are people still being saved. We know that there are people still out there going soul winning and still reaching out to other people. We know that there's still hope and opportunity for those people. And that's why we know that God is not done with the world yet. Because the moment that people stop being saved, the moment that the government stop us from going out into the world and preaching the gospel to every creature, is the moment we know God is returning. That's the moment we know that there's no more hope. Not for the people here. Could be. But we do know that there are people still being saved. And as long as there are people being saved, there is still hope. It won't be destroyed as long as God finds reason for salvation. And there's still hope for us yet. But that hope dwindles more and more with each generation. And that comes and rejects God's will and salvation. And eventually it will get to a point where no one else will be saved. And it will be over. Verse 7. And I'll go through this somewhat quickly. But in the days of the voice of, this, uh, of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished. As he hath declared to his servants the prophets. So sometimes God keeps us, keeps mysteries from us, keeps secrets from us for a purpose. But sometimes what we thought to be a mystery will eventually be revealed to us through another way. So that we are not left without hope. It gives us hope when, our, our, when God's mysteries are revealed. And eventually the seven thunders mentioned above will be re revealed to us and we'll be able to witness God's fulfillment of everything he's promised. And then verses 8 to 11, I lumped these verses in together. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And this book it would be signifying like a scroll. I don't think it's like a real like book. I don't really know. The, the translation um, insinuates a scroll. So my, my assumption is it's a scroll, but I, I don't know. 
um, in verse 9, And I, I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. There's a little bit of, uh, of symbolism here as well. Um, I think it's pretty obvious, but th this, this description here of eating God's word is certainly symbolic in a few ways. First, it is how the believers are to take God's word. It's how we are supposed to take God's word. We don't literally eat it. This is, this is symbolically speaking of take it, how we take in God's word. We chew on it. We eat it. In Jeremiah 15, 16, thy words were found and I did eat them. Jeremiah says, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Matthew 5, 6, um, Jesus says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Uh, in Psalms 34, 8, um, David says, O taste and see. He's telling us to taste the Lord and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Um, we, we aren't obviously literally tasting God or tasting his word, but we are tasting it in the same, same sense when we take it in, that, that same feel, yeah, that you're feeding your spirit, of course. It's a spiritual feeding. But this also, secondly, it's a direct reflection of the way in which God ordains his people. John was ordained through this way to preach these things to those in his life. He's going to preach these things, as, as verse 11 says, And he said unto them, unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many people and nations and tongues and kings. In other words, John, you're going to have to speak about everything that you just saw to a bunch of other people that you don't know. You're going to do it again. But even still, Ezekiel had to do the same thing, and he was ordained for, for ministry. In Ezekiel chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest. Eat this roll, which was, a, which was a scroll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And then Ezekiel chapter 3, and verse 10. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee, receive in thine heart, and hear with thine ears. That is how we take in God's word, is through our own spiritual feeding. It symbolizes that the child of God, even us, must receive God's word before we speak his word. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If we are commanded to rightly divide God's word through reception of God's word, then it stands to reason that we can wrongly divide God's word by negligence to it. That's why... Studying your Bible every single day, even if, it, if it's hard for you to do, is a necessity because we cannot do what God wants us to do if we are not first feeding our souls matter. Uh, I've found a new way of doing it. This might help you. I don't really know, and this might be wrong. Some people might hear this and be like, oh, I can't believe he does that. He's not much of a Christian, blah, blah, blah. But my new way of doing it, because I've, I've kind of gotten into a, a, a little bit of a I'm just so many things <laughs> calling for my attention at this point uh, with different Bible studies and stuff, and, and I'm not very good when it comes to, to preparing lessons and, and sermons and stuff. It takes too long for me. It takes a good week for me to prepare one sermon or a lesson, and I have 
three of them that I have to prepare every week. So um, I, I have to figure out a personal time with the Lord. And the best way to do that for me is to schedule it, of course. But um, I've learned to do it every other day. So um, on Monday, for instance, and I'm not saying I don't read my Bible every day because I do, but what I'm saying is on Monday, I'll, I'll read or I'll, I'll listen to, um, like right now I'm in Genesis, I'll listen to Genesis chapter 22 on an audio Bible. And then on Tuesday, I'll read Genesis chapter 22. And then on Wednesday, I'll listen to Genesis chapter 23 in an audio Bible. And then on Thursday, I'll read it. And then Friday, listen to it. Saturday, read it. So I stay in like three chapters every every single week. But it helps me to be able to kind of take that, that break in between and really absorb each chapter of the Bible instead of just reading through chapter by chapter and, and just hoping that something sticks out, sticks to me, you know, throughout the week. Um, it gives me a, a time for Bible study. And then it also gives me a, a way to be able to really absorb what I'm reading. So if that helps you, that's great. If it doesn't, you know, I'm just giving ideas out there, whatever, you know, I don't, I don't know how, how your Bible study is, but listening to the Bible that might help. <clears throat> listening to the Bible might help. Um, and, and it's free on the Bible app. You can actually listen to it on the Bible app. Any version you want. If you wanted to listen to it in ESV, you can do that. In fact, I do do that. Um, actually, I, I listen to it in KJV and I read it in ESV. Just easier for me. Um, anyway, that's just, you know, extra. You, you don't have to pay for that. Um, unless you wanted to, you can pay me for that. Um, anyway, while this seems like a break from the craziness that we have been reading throughout Revelation um, uh, and about throughout these chapters specifically, th this only sets up more craziness to take place in the future here for these next few chapters, for, for God is not done yet with his work in, in the world, and, and he still has much to accomplish, though it, it may not um, take all that much time when it comes to his will, which, you know, we can, we can really dive into that kind of mentality later on. But um, before he can give glory to all eternity without Satan ever being a problem, um, or solution in some cases, as we'll see again. And, and so this chapter is leading up to some crazy stuff. Like next, next chapter is, is going to talk about the two um, witnesses that are going to come to the earth, and um, the earth will kill them. <laughs> um, they're they're going to preach the gospel, I believe, one last time. I think that will be the last time that, that, that the world will get to hear and get a chance to be saved and uh but that will be it they'll kill they'll kill them and then they'll rise again from the dead and be taken up um and then the beast will come from the bottomless pit and that's when the seventh and final trumpet will sound when they come when they come down and preach the gospel the people that accept accept it will will they still live through everything because they waited that time probably yeah uh, yeah, because it talks about people being saved even before this this final trumpet and before these witnesses, and and they have marks, they have the mark of the Lord on their foreheads. So uh, we're under the assumption that they're living on earth, and it even says that that you know like a third of the water and all this stuff will be taken. But and and there will be these little scorpion things. Remember those those things that will be flying around and attacking people. Um, but the people that are that are the lords that have the mark won't be attacked. They won't even be scathed. There will be nothing wrong <laughs> with them. So. Um, but when chapter 11 takes place and these two witnesses come, there will be nobody else that will be saved, which is, which is why God will do what he does. And those scorpion things are COVID. 
I don't think so. I think they're literal scorpion things. I think they're terrifying. <laughs> no, I think they're just terrifying little scorpion things. I mean, they give like a full out, uh, you know, adept description of what they look like. And even just the, the way that the description describes them is terrifying, let alone actually having to see them be even worse. Anyway, any, any questions, comments, concerns, or complaints?